under the national leadership of the Achos uh, through the, an organisation called NACHO, the National Aboriginal Community Health Controlled Health Organisation, they've really set right from the get-go. They said, we've seen what happened in 2009. In 2009, the influenza epidemic uh, was, uh, I think, had four times the impact on Aboriginal deaths as anywhere else in Australia. And so, um, or for any other group in Australia. And so they said, if COVID gets in like influenza gets in, will be it'll be a disaster. And so they worked closely with the federal government to ensure uh, what they called the biosecurity um, approach, which meant that not only did Northern Territory close its borders um, and, and set up pretty quick uh, early quarantine strategy, but it also closed its regions. So people from uh, the large urban centres of the Northern Territory could not travel to remote communities. My name's Francis Lynch. Thanks for joining me on the Comments and Musings podcast. Today, I speak to Dave Pugh, the CEO at Anglicare NT, who has worked in the community sector for many years across Australia. Working in Darwin and regional parts of the Northern Territory during the COVID-19 pandemic of 2020 has been quite different to the experiences of other parts of Australia. Join me as Dave and I talk about how COVID has influenced work in the NT. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for joining me on the Comments and Musings podcast. I'm talking to leaders from a range of organisations in the community, health and aged care sectors about how they've adapted to the impacts of COVID-19 in 2020. We're recording this in September, so we're a few months in now and have made lots of changes about how we work. If I can start off and just ask you about Anglicare NT and, and what you're involved in. Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me today. I'm the CEO of Anglicare NT, which is a generalist community service organisation that's based in uh, the Northern Territory uh, with locations in Darwin, Alice Springs, Nullumboy, Catherine. So it's a, we're spread right across and then we have uh, uh, other staff in some of the smaller towns. The Northern Territory is a small jurisdiction, so the total population of the Northern Territory is about 240,000 people. And of those, about 30% of those people are Aboriginal. And um, the majority of Aboriginal people live in remote communities, but there's also a lot of Aboriginal people living in the, in the larger urban centres as well. Um, in addition to that, the Northern Territory is incredibly multicultural, so it's a gateway to Southeast Asia. So when you walk around the streets at, on the weekend, you'll see that you'll feel like you at times could be in in Southeast Asia, as well as um, being in a beautiful, warm, tropical environment. So Anglicare provides just a full, a full suite of services. I, I hate to say cradle to grave, but there are lots of early childhood services, support to uh, mm. aged with dis and disability services, uh, some work in, uh, lo sorry, lots of work in homelessness and housing, financial counselling, and uh, services to young people with mental health issues. They're some of the larger clusters of services, our goal as an agency is to ensure that the work we do with a with a person at a point of their vulnerability is uh, is able to connect to them and their broader needs, and so therefore uh, they might access a range of the programs. We, we co-locate programs and try to break the silos down between the programs so that clients get a, a bit of a seamless support across their life journey. 
Um, and so we would, for example, co-locate youth homelessness service with uh, youth justice programs and financial counselling programs so that those teams can, can work together. So it is quite broad and the scale of the you know, the organisation in terms of, you know, geographic spread is, is very significant as well. I know the Northern Territories, you know, compared to other states and territories has had um, far less cases and I think at this stage no deaths from COVID-19. But I'm assuming that there's been quite an impact on your organisation in terms of what you've had to do to ensure that you are a safe organisation and both for your staff and for, for the community. Can you tell me about what that impact might have been? So yeah, COVID's been interesting. So initially there was this significant fear that we had that we could be impacted. And of course the fear was escalated because of the fear of what would be the impact if COVID-19 got into remote communities. We have 13 times the national rate of homelessness and that's mostly because of overcrowding of housing. So and mm-hmm. as, as you well know, Francis, the, the typic, there's so many stories of uh, households with three bedroom houses in remote communities with up to 20 people living in them and perhaps one operating tap. And so issues of hygiene, et cetera, and social distancing become almost impossible. And so mm-hmm. right from the get-go, the Northern Territory responded, I think, fairly rigorously to the potential threat. So as it's turned out, there have been zero deaths from COVID-19 in the Northern Territory and there's been zero community transmission. The only cases, we've had 33 cases, which is about 10% of the national average. Uh, and those cases that have come to the North, have all come to the Northern Territory either from overseas or people coming from interstate. Uh, and they've all been in, in a quarantine situation. So we haven't had... Um, that, that general exposure to the broader community. And partly the, the Northern Territory's rigorous approach was shaped by uh, Aboriginal leadership. So one of the distinctive features of our Aboriginal work in the Northern Territory is that we have, um, a hist- we have Aboriginal medical services, or as they're called in the rest of the Australia, they're often called Aboriginal community controlled health organisations. They um, are large and mature in the Northern Territory. There are some who have employ over 400 people and they've been operating for 40 years. They have very, very uh, mature clinical governance systems. They employ doctors, et cetera. And so under the national leadership of the ACHOs uh, through an organisation called NACHO, the National Aboriginal Community Health Controlled Health Organisation, They've really set right from the get-go. They said, we've seen what happened in 2009. In 2009, the influenza epidemic uh, was, uh, I think, had four times the impact on Aboriginal deaths as anywhere else in Australia, and so, um, or for any other group in Australia. And so they said, if COVID gets in like influenza gets in, will be it'll be a disaster. And so yeah. they worked closely with the federal government to ensure uh, what they called the biosecurity um, approach, which meant that not only did Northern Territory close its borders um, and and set up pretty quick uh, early quarantine strategy, but it also closed its regions. So people from uh, the large urban centres of the Northern Territory could not travel to remote communities uh, yeah. for, for three months. 
So that the biosecurity measures were very much to ensure that remote communities didn't have uh, didn't get any exposure to COVID, and uh, that was coming from the Aboriginal people themselves. Very much they led that, and uh, uh, it's interesting that Nacho, uh, the the leadership of people like Pat Turner, their national CEO, um, and they acknowledge people like Greg Hunt, the minister, and Ken mm. Wyatt, who quickly understood that. Um, and so I think that's been a blessing for the whole for the whole of the NT actually. Mm. And whilst those restrictions were, were different, like it sounds like they were quite different than the restrictions that might have been in place in Victoria or, or New South Wales, but very considered. I mean, what what do you think was the impact on the people that you normally work with as an organisation? Was was there was there negative impacts, or you know, how did that work out? Uh, we run a large, a couple of headspace services, which are support services for young people with mental health issues and or serious significant mental health issues such as psychosis and depression. So those, um, we do know that 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 service, which is part of a national franchise or a national brand called Headspace, mm -hmm. they yeah. they quickly locked into a national approach. And one of those was that they locked in um, telepsychiatry so that all counselling was done, or virtually all counselling was done via, via Zoom. And there was also almost zero group work right from the beginning. Um, so what we learned from that, of course, is that the increased rates of anxiety and depression that were in impacting on young people probably had the same, some of the same features in the rest of Australia, but and the rest of the population. However, what we did also learn is that the fears that we had about higher rates of suicide haven't eventuated. Um, so for our clients, it's a really mixed story. We've got some increase in anxiety, some isolation, and we've had all those concerns about what might that might mean for family violence, uh, and and other. Um, issues but we've also seen significant increase in income and so we've got families with mm. food on food on the table and yeah. uh, and that's had I think in remote Aboriginal communities we've seen a 75% in 75% uh, of the increased funding for JobKeeper and increased payments has gone straight into food and so the uh, into sales at the local shops so that's yeah. been an interesting impact and of course, we've seen less health to health impact from other diseases such as um, influenza. Obviously, we've had people's concern about isolation, and but part of the uh, I think even though we've had a low uh, low impact of COVID, the impact of national distress has been critical. And so I think a lot of our staff and clients were reacting to what they were seeing overseas and in other parts mm. of Australia. And so we've had uh, we had a lot of staff in the early days of COVID uh, saying, we've got to work from home. This is going to be a disaster. And although as an organisation, we never, we didn't shut our doors at all. We stayed open. Um, we did because of staff anxiety and some client anxiety, we changed the way we worked to include significant working from home opportunities. And that was, um, I think that's an interesting lesson in management really about how do you meet the needs of uh, the vulnerable people within your own workforce. I think um, your, your organisation is probably the same, um, Francis, but uh, I think we did some research at one stage and said 20% of our staff uh, experience anxiety and depression, the same mm. rate, the same rate as the general community. And so we therefore as managers have to be flexible. Why would it be otherwise, really? Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and and so so you didn't close the doors, but does so has that meant that you've continued to do sort of home visiting and and working in the community at the same rate, or has it really changed a lot? No, pretty much at the same rate. Apart from the headspace, which applied a national approach. We took yeah. uh, the rest of the agency took the uh, the line, and that was a strategic management decision that we were an essential service. And under the uh, a number of states applied an essential service lens to NGOs and said that NGOs are essential services, therefore they will not be required to work from home and they'll have access to um, to, to home visiting, etc. Now the NGO sector wasn't declared an essential service in the Northern Territory, although I note that in WA, homeless services and I think child protection were declared essential. And mm. so we just took the took the approach that, well, if it's good enough for WA, it's good enough for us. So we told the staff that they were doing an essential service. We told the government that we were performing an essential service and therefore we'll operate as if that's the case. And so it was probably a bit of a, a gray, it was a gray area, but we took the decision that if we were managing risk appropriately and practicing all the other government guidelines, uh, that it would be reasonable for us to apply a, a um, um, maintain our, our service models. We did drop um, a number of projects such as um, group work, um, obviously needed to stop, but the essential home visiting for vulnerable people uh, in their own homes was really critical. It was in some cases, we were the only service left providing those outreach services to families. You mentioned before that, you know, there were some of your staff who, who were saying that they would like to work from home. Was that one of the the major impacts from a staff point of view that, that there was that anxiety and that some people were, were asking to do that? Were there, were there other impacts, do you think, as well? Oh, well, I think that the um, that was really helpful for us. It led us to think about a process for, <laughs> like you or you guys and everyone else in Australia had to do, uh, develop some pretty quick working from home policies and guidelines, yeah. develop the IT systems to ensure that that could happen. I think we grew a lot through doing all that. Um, and also, um, I guess, moving from a general commitment to uh, hygiene to um, HR practices and requirements. So people had to sign documents about uh, an answering the appropriate questions, informing their managers, et cetera. So I think mm. we, we grew a lot through that. And the staff, I think, felt really supported in the journey. I think part of anxiety needs to be contained, doesn't it, through knowing that someone's got your back and that managers have got your back. So we, we established right from the beginning an emergency response plan, uh, emergency management plan, and uh, we're reasonably uh, practiced at some of that because we have cyclones in the Northern Territory. And so <laughs> like the, well, like Victoria, like you guys have bushfire and you have emergency yep. plans for bushfires. Uh, we similarly have emergency plans for extreme weather events. Uh, and so there was some natural segue for us to establish the emergency planning team and to put out regular bulletins to staff about what's happening and what's required. People said they felt really contained. In fact, some of them, uh, some of the uh, people we work with, for example, people with disabilities who started getting um, information bulletins from us in um, plain English were saying that was the first information they'd received, that no other organisation was providing them with oh, information really? okay. about managing COVID. 
Um, and so that was a good reminder for us that mature good practice and communication, we take it for granted often, but that it's uh, not all not all organisations and not all government departments can get that organised that quickly. So I, I actually think it's part of being a mature non-government organisation is that we are pretty nimble, Bill. Mm. What do you think the next couple of years is going to mean? You know, COVID is not going away anytime soon. You've got a, a couple of years possibly of still living and, and getting through this as a, as a country, as a, as a people across the world. But um, what do you think is going to be the outlook for you and, and Anglicare NT? Well, I think we've probably, we, we have cemented some of our relationships in uh, remote communities particularly. Through all that fear, there was a, a clarity about why communities value our, our, our support. I think in some ways, uh, we've, we've seen a very crowded um, non-government space. So we've seen a lot of new NGOs coming and we, we call them fly-by-nighters a bit. But uh, I think what's been important through this is that uh, mature organisations have hung in there with people and have continued to do that that work. Um, I think we'll, we, we will see uh, the need for our home-based work. Uh, I think that's only going to strengthen. Uh, however, uh, the idea of building community grows for me is about the what the young people in Headspace told us is they, they survived some of that telepsychiatry, but what they really wanted to do was come together and meet with other people who are going through the same thing as them. And, and so I think it yeah. cemented our commitment to groups and to, and to bringing community together. I, I guess from a business perspective, uh, it's a bit hard to imagine how through all the, all the challenges we're going to have as the government starts to wind back JobKeeper and, and various allowances, it's hard to see how people will recover and how the government can also afford the investments needed uh, for social um, social issues. So, for example, the Aboriginal organisation I referred to earlier, Nacho, is calling mm. for a national commitment to social housing and to overcoming um, significant remote housing lacks. That's it's really hard to see where that investment's going to come from. Uh, and housing is just the tip of the iceberg. So, Whilst uh, I, I think we're going to feel quite squeezed and we're seeing already how the government is trying to squeeze work in child protection and out-of-home care because of the expense of delivering out-of-home care models, for example, I think the next two years are going to be um, have a fair bit of pressure and will call on us to be nimble and creative. Mm. Look, thank you so much for your time today. It, it's, um, you know, it is for me sitting in Victoria, such a different experience that that uh, the NTs had and that, that your organisations had. It, it actually does give me some hope that we get into the the less restrictions that, you know, we will be actually going out and visiting people because that hasn't been our experience. We've, we've been very restricted and, and had to... Um, you know, we've still gone out and done work with families when it's been very, when there's a lot of risk, um, but there's a lot of families and, and uh, people that we need to be visiting and I'm really looking forward to. And so that having this conversation has been actually helpful for me and, and um, I hope that, uh, you know, the next few months are really uh, good for, for Anglicare NT and for you. So thanks, Dave for your time Thank today. You. And I hope they're really good for uh, Victorians. We're just constantly uh, thinking about you guys and, and hoping you come out of this pretty soon. Yeah, thanks. Thanks.